Good morning. So this morning, I have a few things before we, we hop into the Word. So if you could, there's two things I need you to do. One, grab a bulletin, and two, grab your Bible. If you don't have either, then just wing it, okay, as far as the bulletin goes. Now, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we'll bring one to you, okay? I just want to make a couple quick announcements as far as, um, you know, Rhonda, I told her, I said, hey, I'll cover announcements. Uh, just lead us in time of prayer. And, and it's amazing, you know, Rhonda, I'd written in my notes last week, and I said maybe this week. I sort of did like you. Know, I went back through all the emails and the prayer list and just looked at all the prayers and just amazed. Thank you for sharing that this morning. God is good. And uh, we think about how God worked in, has worked recently in Julie Borton's life. And then even something so simple like uh, what we get to celebrate, we, we set a goal to raise $100,000 in 2016 for the building project. I think 60-something thousand, 62, 63,000 was pledged, 64, I don't know, the numbers go around there. That's how much was pledged. As of the first Sunday in January, we raised $105,000. Isn't that awesome? Church, God doesn't, you know, I sit there and think, okay, wow, surprise. With the first time we voted on that building last year, 100% yes vote. And I tell people, and a lot of people that grew up in the church have never seen a 100% vote. They're like, we could say, we're going to pass out filet mignon and $20 bills to everybody out when the service is over, and somebody would still vote no. Okay? So when you see a 100% vote yes, you sit there and think, God's doing something here. And so we continue to see that. So we just praise God for so many things. And, and in the bulletin, there's, there's a few things coming up. I just, please check them out. Uh, men's group, West, we're meeting next Sunday night. It'll be at the ministry center. Okay, don't miss it. There will be food involved. Uh, youth leaders, and, and that involves GPS and uh, the Wednesday night kids at Children's Church. There's an appreciation meal for you and a meeting coming up. Don't miss that. Married couples. There is a retreat coming up in March. We want you to be there. And there's information in the bulletin about that. This is our first marriage retreat. We're excited about what's going on and how it's going to go down. And well, We just want you to be there. And I want to do one more thing before we dig into God's Word. I want to read a text to you. Um, I've been in touch with um, our kids and youth leaders. They're at Kalahari for a retreat this weekend. It's been an incredible retreat so far. Um, I know there's quite a few uh, high schoolers and middle schoolers that couldn't go because they have sport commitments and a lot of other commitments that were taking place this weekend. I know they're sitting there going, oh, I wish we could have went. And, and, but we understand. Everybody's got stuff going on. But for those that did go, let me just share this with you. They're having a great time. Um, this is what Landon, I said, hey, do you got anything you want me to share? And I've sort of been paying attention to social media the last 24 hours. Because Jenny's there and the boys are there. So I've been bachelor it for the last whatever. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like eating Taco Bell and watching movies that aren't made by Hallmark. So it's been awesome. So, um, so anyway, this is what Landon said. It's an amazing weekend. The kids had a ton of fun. And most importantly, a lot of kids are growing deeper. And some of the kids came to know Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? There's a lot of awesome stuff going on. So I wanted to share that with you this morning. Let you know that um, they are having a fantastic time. There's a couple thousand there at this retreat. This isn't just our group of 48. This is, this is thousands of kids there uh, being amazed and touched by God's work. So keep praying for them. They still have another session this morning, and then they'll be traveling home this afternoon. Just pray for uh, uh, an incredible finish. All right? 
I want to show something here. Now, little, let's see, little kids, younger kids, okay? You might not know what this is, okay? I just, is, is there anybody right now under the age of 12 that's looking at this right now and saying, what is that? You know, some, there might be a few adults in here too that are like, I remember one of those. My grandma had one or my grandpa had one. Kept in the glove compartment or underneath the seat. When he, this is Ohio right here. You can tell I've used that one a lot. But for those of you who don't know what this is, this is called a map, okay? And this is our GPS back in the day. So if we wanted to go somewhere, we didn't like, Siri, what's the fastest route to whatever? You know, we are like, hey, pull out the map. You know, whoever's in the passenger seat and they're looking in there looking at all the interstates, and this was a great way to get you from point A to point B, right? This is what we use all the time. Now, modern technology, today we, we do this, right? We push the button, we say, Siri, how do I get to Toledo? We wait, Siri's thinking about it. Siri doesn't know. Oh, I'm sorry. I had my volume all the way down. You can hear. I've got a British accent. The guy's like, ew, just one minute, please. Okay, and it's like, it's really fun. But anyway, so this is what I would use, right? And then the map comes up, and it gives me all these alternate routes on my phone. And it says, oh, by the way, there's traffic on this route. Expect a delay. Now, if I tried to do that with this, I don't get it. I just get point A to point B. I can follow the red line or the blue line, and that's going to get me wherever. It doesn't tell me if there's construction. It doesn't tell me if there's an accident. It doesn't tell me if there's something else going on. It doesn't give me three other alternate routes that one might be faster or whatever it might be, one more scenic. But this is what I was so used to growing up. And the first time I could do GPS on the phone, I really didn't trust it. I really didn't. Because it's like, no, they don't know the route I really want to take. I was so used to using this, I would never use my phone, my GPS. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. But then, as I've grown along in life, I've sort of taken my old way and gotten rid of the old way. And I've gone to the new way of GPS. Because that actually has technology to help me with the construction, with something in the accident took place or something happened. And I've learned to trust that alternate way, that new way of doing things. You know, the funny thing is about our life, it's a lot of us struggle with certain things in life. Oh, I've always done this growing up. We do that maybe spiritually, right? We struggle with certain temptations and we think, this is how I'm going to handle it. Not realizing that God says, listen, I've got a new way for you to live. Would you please let go of the old way of how you've been living? And a lot of us battle in this spiritual journey holding on to the things of the past and trying to live new, and we go back and forth. And, and basically what I'm saying is the things that you've struggled with in the past, God says that's the old way. You've got to let go and trust me with the new route that I'm giving you. Last week we opened up the Bible and we went to Matthew and we looked at the story of the wise men and how they discovered Jesus Christ and they worshipped him. And then God revealed to them and said, you need to take a new route home, another route. And we talked about that and we said that as we were reading through that story that God says, listen, I've got a new route for you to take in your life too. 
We read this. It said, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. And God was telling Isaiah, listen, this is the route you need to go. And we went and then we looked in Deuteronomy, another Old Testament book. And in that book, Moses was relaying um, from God to the children of Israel, saying, there's a different way you should live. And this is what he said. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. You live in a way that pleases him. You love him. You serve him with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you always obey the Lord's commands. He gave him five simple things. He said, this is the new way you're going to live. Let's toss out that old, okay? But here's the new way in which you're going to live. And God made it simple for his people as they left Egypt, going into the promised land. This is a new way you're going to live. It's another route. And so just as God gave Moses... And the children of Israel knew a way to live. There's a definite way in which we too should live. See, but here's the problem. Our way, opposed to God's way, our way is filled with what? Sometimes fear. Sometimes trouble. Sometimes our pride or our desires sort of get in the way of where God wants us to go. It leads us down the path away from God. You know, and you think about this. Why do we have to make New Year's resolutions to change our lifestyles. Have you ever really thought about that? Have you ever thought about why do I have to make this New Year's resolution to eat less, exercise more, study more, read more, you know, get more sleep, whatever it may be, you know, work harder. We have all these New Year's resolutions. Why do we do that? Because the way we've been doing things isn't working. Our way, our old way, is isn't really working that good, is it? So we've got to make this New Year's resolution to do something new and change it up, right? We choose that alternate lifestyle. And did you ever realize that that alternate lifestyle, that New Year's resolution we make, is always a lot more disciplined? Ever realize? Did you ever think about that? No, nobody makes a New Year's resolution. You know, this New Year, I think I'm going to eat more. I really got to exercise less. I really need less sleep. What a, you know, I need to drive faster this year. I was way too slow of a driver last year, right? We, we don't do that. You know, we don't sit around coming up with all these other things. Like, you know, I really need to be more of a negative person this year. I really need to pick up on my swearing. I've not used enough four-letter words this year. I need to do more. Nobody has resolutions like that, right? We're more disciplined. We're more choosing that better way of life. Psalm 18, 30 to 32 says this, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He's a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. See, God's way is perfect and he says, I want to show you this way because this way is perfect. But changing ways and changing direction really takes an intentional part on our behalf. So we can sit there and pray, God, change me, change me. But you know what? It's still up to us. It's still our responsibility. It begins with being honest with ourselves. And sometimes that's hard. How honest are we really with ourselves? Because we don't do that great of a job with others. We can you know, walk up to a person, walk up to a friend, sit across the table from a friend. And we say, hey, how you doing? Oh, good. Just fine. <laughs> we know you're not. But that's what we say, right? They don't share their struggles. I mean, you may even press the issue. No, no, really, I've noticed that 
you just don't look yourself. I mean, you look like something's troubling you. Unless you look down, are you struggling with something? What do we say? Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm, I'm okay. When in reality, sin is just kicking us to the curb. Knocking us down. We struggle. We don't sleep well. We're irritated. We're short with others. We get disengaged maybe from the church because sin has a hold on us. So the same question I ask myself may be the same question you're asking right now from your chair, and that is this. Well, how in the world, Pastor Rex, can I choose another route and follow God's direction when I can't kick this own sin issue in my life? How can I choose God's way when I'm struggling right now? I would really love to follow God's way. God's way is perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm struggling with this issue right now. That's a good question. Now, I, I thought I've, before I take you to Scripture, as a matter of fact, I'm going to have you turn to Scripture right now. In your Bibles, open up into the New Testament towards the back. If you get to Revelation, that's the last book. Um, from there, go forward a few books to the book of James. The book of James. And when you get to the book of James, go to chapter 1. James chapter 1. That's one verse we're going to be looking at. And as I read this verse, and I shared this verse this past week, and something I wrote, and I wanted to share that this morning with all of you. James chapter 1, and it's going to be verse 21. But before we read that verse, I called up Colin, my oldest son. I said, hey, Colin, can I share a story in church of, about you? Because I, I try not to, because everybody always goes, oh, great, I'm going to be one of Rex's illustrations on Sunday morning. And it's like, yeah, that happens. So I try not to use any of you in sermon illustrations or anything without your permission. Can I share that story? So I went to Colin. Colin, can I share this story? He goes, yeah, go for it. So what I wanted to share with you about was this past summer. When Colin came home from college, he got a late, job, a late uh, start on finding a summer job. Because here's the thing for a college kid. You need to earn as much money as possible to pay off your college bills, right? So he comes home, and he did not have a full-time summer job. So he picked up about three part-time jobs to help him with what he needed to do in raising money. Well, one of those jobs was being a hired hand for a farmer. Okay? Now, he had the opportunity to do something that I did as a kid growing up on a farm. He was going to get to go out and do all that stuff that I did, and, and I was sort of looking forward to this. I thought, oh, this is going to be good for him. Get his hands dirty. This will be fun. So, yeah, he was out baling hay and cleaning out the barn and, and uh, doing the odds and ends work on the farm. Now, one of those days, Colin said, no, Dan, I know they provided uh, pizza for us the other day. I don't know what we're doing for lunch. I said, well, just give me a call, and you know, we'll go grab lunch together or just stop by the church, and we'll eat lunch together if, if you don't have plans. So he goes off to work, and I was at the church working, and um, I got a text a little before noon saying, hey, I'm on my way uh, for lunch. I said, Great. Awesome. So I'm waiting for my son to show up. I'm at the church, and in comes walking Colin in just a pair of gym shorts and socks. That was it. Nothing else, just gym shorts and socks walking into the church. And I'm like, I was thinking, okay, walked right past Jan. I'm thinking, okay, this is probably not the most appropriate attire to wear into there, but I'm... I'm thinking, well, what happened? And uh, he said, well, my job this morning was spraying out a trailer that hauls cattle in it. 
So as he's spraying out the trailer, manure is flying everywhere, okay? Now, and I'm thinking back to this um, when I used to do that kind of stuff. You learn the first couple, I mean, after the first couple times, you learn how to spray so you don't get sprayed back. But the first time you're spraying, you don't realize when you hit that spray nozzle and, and it just, yeah, everywhere. Um, and so I had, I was just laughing. I was the, inside, I'm just dying. I'm going, this is awesome. Good. I'm, I'm glad he got a taste of this. I, literally, he got a taste of this. Nasty. Now, so he comes, so he had all of his clothes. He just took them all off. He just, everything was off. And he had a pair of gym shorts in his vehicle. And I'm thinking, where are your clothes? He goes, Dad, I figured you wouldn't want me walking in here with everything I had on. So that's in a bag in the car. And I just put this on so I could come in. It's actually a good call. He was intelligent enough to know to do that. Okay. So I was sort of happy that he got that one. Now, let's, let's picture something here, okay? Now, you have that image in your mind. Now, let's just pretend, let's rewind back a year and a half or so. And he's a senior in high school. And let's say that prom is coming up. As a matter of fact, it's on the same day that he's going to spray out a trailer again, okay? Let's say he finishes the job spraying out that trailer, and he's once again just covered, Okay? And he's supposed to be uh, picking up his prom date in an hour. So he gets done spraying and he, and he sits there and thinks, you know, no big deal, right? I, I really don't have time to go home and clean up. So I'm just going to go right to my prom date's house and pick her up. So let's just picture him showing up. Instead of showering and changing clothes, he goes straight to her house. Imagine him walking into that house covered with manure, okay? And stinking and pushing off that toxic odor. And in the living room stands his date, her parents, a camera, corsage, and their jaws dropped all the way to the floor. Okay, can you, can you imagine that? That's a pretty gross sight, isn't it? Sounds like a bad dream, right? For some of you, especially you high schoolers, it'd be a nightmare, right? We would never allow that to happen in real life, right? Think about what would we do? I mean, in this situation, no matter how much time he has, we would make every effort to take off those nasty clothes, to shower, to put on new clothes, and make ourselves presentable to the date, right? We'd make every effort. There would be no ifs, ands, buts about it. I'm just, we're going to be running a little late tonight. That's fine. Because I don't want you going the way you are right there, right? Now, with that picture in mind, look at James chapter 1, verse 21 with me. In verse 21, it says this. So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the message God has planted in your hearts. For it is strong enough to save your souls. Now, I want to read this verse in a couple different translations. Here's another translation. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. One more translation. So throw away all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Three different translations. Okay, and I really love that last translation, okay? But allow me to... Take those translations aside and say, let's go to the original Greek in which it was written. Now, what happens a lot of times these different translations is they have the original Greek, 
And then somebody takes that Greek and they translate it into how they believe it should be read. That's why we have all these different translations. Okay? When you go back to the original Greek, and the word that is used for put away or throw out, that word is, it's pronounced, hopefully I can feel this correctly, apotathemi. Apotathemi. And literally it means to lay something down and push it away. Now in the story that I mentioned about Colin... You, when you, if you were to apothemy the clothes, okay, you'd be taking off the nasty, smelly, dirty, toxic clothes that he was wearing, okay, taking them off and pushing them away, never to wear them again, okay. And anyone in their right mind would make every effort to take off those nasty clothes, right, before they would go to that prom, right? I'm sorry, but a corsage and Photoshop ain't going to make that picture any better, okay, or situation any better. You have to take off and push away those nasty clothes. And here's something else worth mentioning about this word that James used. Again, this is James. This is the brother of Jesus as he's writing this. He says, this is a deliberate action. As we all know, I don't care how much you can jump, dance, wiggle, jiggle, whatever. Your clothes don't come off unless you purposely unbutton, unzip, remove. It's a deliberate action. You just don't walk around and, oh, my shirt just fell off. Oh, my shoe just fell off. It's a deliberate action. Right? That's common sense. That's the word that James is using. It's a taking off and pushing away. It is a deliberate unbuttoning, unzipping, get rid of it, take it, put it over here. It doesn't, in other words, what James is saying is, this just doesn't happen by itself. It isn't like, you know what, I'm going to stop sinning and it's just going to happen naturally. It's, it's like these things that I need to change in my life, it, it'll just it'll eventually just wear off and fall off of me. James says, no, it's a deliberate action on our part. You have to, I have to, have the attitude and the action to take care of it, to make those changes. And here's the thing. You have a bad attitude. If I have a bad attitude, if you're dealing with a certain sin, if I'm dealing with a certain sin, it's not going to fall off on its own. It's our responsibility to make every effort to take spiritual garbage and get it out of our life and allow God's Word to save us and shape us. Listen, your parents, kids, your parents, your coaches... Your teachers, church, your pastor, your friends, Dr. Phil, okay, won't change you. All those people won't change you. They won't take your nasty sin clothes and just get rid of them. We may not like the surrounding circumstances and sin that's in our lives, right? But here's the thing. We have a choice. We have the choice to take off the negative attitude and push it away. That's our choice. Have you ever realized that your attitude and choices may lead you away from God? Have you ever thought about that? Probably haven't thought about it, but we see it, right? Because when somebody is really struggling with sin, I mean, they're so knee-deep in sin, they feel nasty. They feel dirty. You think they want to step into a church or into a small group or get around people who love God? No, because they know that their stench is offensive. 
And we feel the same way. So what do we do sometimes as Christians? We know we're struggling with sin. And so it's like we put this little body spray on before we walk into church because we want to look good in front of everybody and feel good about ourselves. But yet inside we're just struggling. Let's be clear about something here, okay? By faith, when you confess your sins to a holy God, He forgives you. He cleanses you. He makes you new in Christ. Okay? Let's be crystal clear about that. And His Spirit starts a work transforming our lives. And that's why we need to behave as if we are new in Christ. As that transformation has taken place, as God's working in all of us right now, we still have the responsibility to make sure we are making the right choices as we are trying to imitate Christ. Paul had something more to say about this. In your Bibles, go to the book of Romans. That's New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. He's going to use some similar language that James used, or a similar thought, a similar picture. And I want you to see this. James, I'm sorry, Romans, Romans chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 11. Starting in verse, actually 8. Romans 13, 8. I've got you guys all over the place. Here we go. Pay all your debts, except the debt of love for others. You can never finish paying that. If you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill all the requirements of God's law. For the commandments against adultery and murder and stealing and coveting and any other commandment, they're all summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10. Love does no wrong to anyone, so love satisfies all of God's requirements. Another reason for right living is that you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for the coming of our salvation is near than we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So don't live in darkness. Get rid of your evil deeds. Shed them like dirty clothes. Clothe yourselves instead with the armor of right living as those who live in the light. We should be decent and true in everything we do so that everyone can approve of our behavior. Don't participate in the wild parties, getting drunk, adultery, immoral living, and fighting and jealousy. But let the Lord Jesus Christ take control of you. And don't think of ways to indulge your evil desires. That last verse, I don't know if you read this, but that last verse about clothing yourself with the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're putting on His clothing. We're putting on Christ. And we back up and we read, as Paul was saying, this, he's got like this urgency going on. He's like, wake up. The night's almost gone. He's like saying this. Listen, do you understand that your priority of having God first matters right now? Now's the time to be of your relationship with God. Not when you get older. Oh, when I get older, then I'll focus more on my relationship with God. Paul's saying, no, 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 right now, right now. If you're 5 or 50 or 95, right now, not when it gets later. We've got 48, I think, actually 47, one of the students had an ear infection and couldn't go. I think we have 47 students and leaders at this retreat right now, along with thousands of others. And I asked Jenny yesterday, I said, so what was the speaker Friday night? He goes, the speaker was excellent. 
And he just impressed upon the students and the leaders and said, God must be a priority in your life right now. Because here's the thing. If you don't make God a priority in your life right now, when you get older, he won't be. Because we learn when we're young in the way we should go. What you do with your life right now spiritually matters. So what does Paul tell us to do right now? The same thing that James said. He said, get those dirty clothes off. Shed yourself of those sins and clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we put on Christ, we're putting on the armor of God. We're putting on the equipment we need to defend and to attack Satan. Because he is our spiritual opponent. The thief wants to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Jesus said, but I've come to give life and give it abundantly. So we need to understand this. In order to defend or to attack against Satan, we need to put on the armor of God. We need to clothe ourselves with Christ. Putting on Christ is a very strong and vivid metaphor, says one author. He says this. It means more than just putting on the character of Jesus Christ. Rather, we're letting Jesus Christ himself be that armor that we wear. It's not like, oh, I want to look like Christ. It's like, no, no, no. You let Christ invade you. You put him on. Rick Renner said this. When you wake up in the morning, you may not feel like smiling. Some of us can probably relate to this, right? When you wake up in the morning, you may not feel like smiling or talking or saying anything nice to anyone. But because you want to please the Lord, what do you do? You choose to be nice. You choose to smile. You you choose to speak kindly. In other words, you choose to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You make the decision to act differently than you naturally feel. Putting on Christ is a daily mindset. It's a daily hour-by-hour determination. So wake up and declare that you have the mind of Christ. That's what Rick Renner said. Now, Paul's not done here as you look at Romans. Paul says, you know what? Let me give you another picture. Let me give you another picture of this. Okay? In Romans, go back a couple more books to Ephesians. So you've got to go past First and Second Corinthians. And then there's a bunch of small books, Galatians and Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 21. And in this passage, Paul says this, starting in verse 21. Since you've heard all about him, and you've learned about the truth that is in Jesus, throw off, here it is again, it's that same word, throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You must display a new nature because you're a new person created in God's likeness. Righteous, holy, true. So now we're going to see this word again that we saw with James. So put away, throw it off, all falsehood, and tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. Don't sin by letting your anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you're so angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Look at verse 28. If you're a thief, stop stealing. Begin using your hands for honest work. Give generously to others in need. Verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And don't bring sorrow to God's spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's the one who identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, 
anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. So Paul basically says here, listen, you need to put off all these things and then put on Christ. Take off the old, put on the new. Church, let me, let me revert back to the beginning of this message when I was saying, when we're going to take another route, when we're going to live a new way for Jesus Christ, here's how it starts. You can't walk that path. You can't take that journey with Jesus if you're still wearing the nasty clothes. If you're still walking around with the filth, God says, listen, I've forgiven you. Remove that. Put on me. Let's walk this new route. And as Paul says in Ephesians, he starts listing all these things. Anger, your language, stealing, all these different things. And it's like, wow, a lot of dirty clothing going on there, right? What if we just picked one article this week and said, let's just pick on one thing this week and let's work on it, okay? What would, what would we choose? There's so much, right? How about stealing? How about, um, how about a language? How about forgiving? Oh, forgiving one another. <laughs> That's a tough one, right? What if we said this week, I'm going to work on forgiveness? Because forgiveness is tough. There's a story in Luke chapter 17, and you don't need to turn there, but in Luke 17, Jesus was talking with his disciples, and one day Jesus said to his disciples, he said this, there will always be temptation to sin. We're all like, amen, preach to Jesus, right? There's always temptation to sin. But what sorrow awaits for the person who does the tempting? What? Jesus goes on, it'd say, it'd say this, it'd be better... For that person to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around his neck and then to cause one of these other people to sin. That's a little harsh, isn't it, Jesus? But this is what we know. In life, we know that it's inevitable that we will be offended, right? We know we're going to be offended. We know somebody's going to do something to offend us, right? But woe to the person through whom those offenses come, is what Jesus says. See, it's important to understand what Jesus meant when he spoke of offenses. That ancient Greek word was actually used, uh, scandal meant like a bent stick. And that bent stick was a stick that springs a trap that the bait has been set. So if, you, uh, if you've gone out and you've gone trapping before, maybe you've used a stick to help spring a trap. That's the stick we're talking about. The stick is also meant the same kind of stick that you lay down to cause somebody to trip over, to stumble over. That's the same kind of stick that's being talked about here. And Jesus says, woe to you who's like that stick that you cause people to trip, that you cause people to get trapped in their sin. Woe to you. Jesus is saying, listen, people are going to take the bait. People are going to trip in life. People are going to get trapped in life. But if you're the one that's setting the, tra the trap, if you're the one that's causing people to trip, we got to talk because that's got to stop. But what if somebody causes you to stumble? What if somebody causes you to trip up in life? What if somebody hurts you? Jesus, what do we do with that, right? He goes on to say this in verse 3 of Luke 17. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there's repentance, forgive. And if that person wrongs you seven times a day, and each time turns again and says, ask for forgiveness, you must forgive. 
Jesus, can we go back to just you feeding us bread and fish? Because that was a lot more fun. You're telling me I need to forgive people when they've hurt me? When somebody sins against me, I, first of all, shouldn't pretend that it didn't happen. Jesus came out right out and said that. He goes, listen, you need to rebuke that brother in love. If somebody hurt you, go back to them. Now, he says this, to rebuke means to tax without fault. In other words, you stop them and you let them know there was a cost for what they just did to you. You speak frankly, you speak honestly, and you politely, as you let that person know, you've wronged me. But then this, the rule of love is applied here. We obviously can't walk around and keep a record of every little offense that somebody does to us, right? In love... When we are sinned against in a significant way, we follow what Ephesians 4.15 says as the pattern is that we speak the truth in love to them. See, listen, love isn't going to other people about what this person did to me. That's not love. We do that often. We up on social media, we go around, we call people up, we text people, we say, do you know what they did to me? That's not speaking the truth in love. Love isn't going uh, and, and just bottling up inside you saying, well, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm sure they didn't mean to, but oh, that really hurt. Bottling up isn't the right thing either. Love is getting straight with the person who sinned against you. And this past week, this happened in our own family. Somebody said something that really offended a bunch of others. And instead of not over here just bottling up, and instead of going to all these other people, we had a conversation on about, listen, we need to go directly to that person in love and say, what you did hurt. That's not the right way to go. And if that person repents, you forgive them. That's a challenge from Jesus. There's no other option given. When a person who offended you repents, we have to forgive them. But what do we do if that person has never repented? Do we forgive them? Even if the relationship can't be restored, because there's no common mind is arrived at, we can still forgive to choose that person on our part. Even if they aren't willing to accept it, even if they aren't listening, I on my end can still say, I'm going to forgive them. And I'm just going to wait for God to work in their life so that our relationship can be restored. But I want to make sure on my end that I'm speaking the truth in love. I love you. I'm going to forgive you. And I know you hurt me. I know you, you, you won't even ask for forgiveness. But on my end, I can do something. I can do something. And even if that person, Jesus says this, if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns around and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. Are you kidding me? Somebody hurts me seven times and every time they come back, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm sorry. It's not okay. You know, but by the seventh time, are you, and Jesus says, keep forgiving them. Really? Boy. When you read that, you start to begin, you know what? I'm not permitted to judge that other person's repentance. <laughs> I'm not God. If someone had sinned against me more than seven times a day and kept, kept asking for forgiveness, I might think they're really not sincere. I don't think they're sincere. They, they keep asking, I don't think they're sincere. Yet Jesus commands that I forgive them and restore them. And I'm thinking, that is tough, right? Let me tell you something. Before all of us in this room say, I can't do that, let me tell you something. The very disciples of Jesus Christ who were sitting there right there listening to him, they looked at Jesus and they said, time out. I don't think that's in the original Greek, but I'm putting that in there, okay? Because here's what they said. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase faith. We can't do that. The, the disciples themselves listened to Jesus say, I've got to do 
How? Increase our faith. Increase our faith. He says this, the Lord said, If you had faith as even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to that mulberry tree, May you be uprooted and be planted in the seed and it would obey you. I love it. Jesus is like looking around, mulberry tree. Hey guys, listen. If you had faith the size of this little mustard seed, you could say to that mulberry tree, uproot, boom, and it's going into the sea. Okay, Jesus, what does that mean? I'm just trying to figure out how to forgive them. And I don't know if I can do it. And Jesus said, that's what I'm saying. You can't. But if you put your faith in me, and if your faith is even as small as a mustard seed, I'm not asking you to have big faith. I'm asking you to have faith. See, your faith is in me. I'm the big one. Your faith is in me. Not big faith in small God, but it's small faith in a big God then you can look at that mulberry tree. And some people say mulberry trees' roots are so strong, so deep, that they could last planted like 600 years, okay? If you ever tried to uproot a tree before and remove it, it's a lot of work, right? What do they, they just usually cut it off, falls over, and then there's a stump. It's always a good thing. But the problem is then, then they call a stump removal service, which is a bad thing, okay? I don't know, I told you, I was in Toledo a few weeks back, and I was sitting at an intersection, and the vehicle pulled up next to me, and I... Sitting there at the light, I'm like, pulled out my phone, took a picture, sent Jenny a text real quick, said, I'm in Toledo right now, I'm a little nervous. The guy just pulled up next to me, and I'm very nervous right now. Hit send. And I'm still waiting at the light, and it comes back, well, what's going on? And then I sent her the picture. See, right next to me was this truck, it said stump removal service. And I was like, <laughs> I thought it was funny. But anyway, she didn't. So anyway, so here's the thing. So you got this stump now, but now we've got to remove that out. Have you ever tried to remove a stump before? Tree stump, okay. That's tough, okay. You dig, I've, I've done this before, dig and chop away and dig and chop away and, and blisters later and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of work. And Jesus said, listen, listen, faith, as small as a mustard seed, uproot that, just like that. Toss it into the sea. Oh, by the way, the sea. Now, we're not just going to drown it. It's salt water. It will kill it. See, the problems that you're struggling with, the sins you're struggling with, listen, you, how do I forgive somebody like that? How do I get rid of this sin in my life? How do I deal with this struggle? You place your faith, as small as it may be, in a big God. And you let him take care of that sin. I, I heard this illustration saying like this, when ice skating, it's far better to have small faith on thick ice than great faith on thin ice. Our small faith in such a great Savior can accomplish great things. But I don't know if I can see it. Charles Spurgeon said this, The eye cannot see itself. Right? Think about this. Your eye cannot see the eyes, right? Did you ever see your own eye? He went on to say this, In a mirror you've done so, but that's a reflection of it. And in the same way, you see the evidence of your faith, but you can't see faith itself. Think about that. Sometimes you say, but I don't see the faith. But you see the evidence of your faith when you truly trust God to take care of this. Do you see what happens to that unforgiveness, that lust, that sin that's uprooted in life? It's tossed in the sea. God will help you take care of it. Church, this, this new journey in life, and, and worship team, would you please come forward? This new journey in life, this other route, this choosing to go God's direction means we're going to listen to the brother of Jesus, Okay. We listen to Jesus all the time. And then his brothers, his disciples, his apostles, they all chime in too. But James said this, Therefore put away all filthiness, all 
rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Would you please strip yourselves of that nasty clothes and clothe yourselves with Jesus Christ? What is taken off, what is shed, must be replaced with a new garment. Clothe yourself with the presence of Jesus Christ. What is uprooted, what is disposed of, must be replaced with a new implant, God's word. The challenge for us is to trust God to help us. Listen, I, wanna, I know God forgives me of my sins, but when those sins come and I'm trying to battle them, I've got to trust God that he's going to help me. And like a dirty, nasty piece of clothing, I need to intentionally take it off and say, God, I don't want this anymore. Forgive me of this. And I want to pick up his righteousness, his clothing, and clothe myself with that. So church, I want to challenge you this week. Ask him to remove that nasty clothes of sin. Ask him to clothe you with a new righteousness. Would you please stand? I had a Bible study one time with um, a bunch of football players at a college. And there was about seven or eight of them, and we finished up our Bible study, and they all took off, and one college football player stood there beside me, and they all, he was sort of waiting for something. And he took off, and he stood there. And he looked at me and said, um, Rex, I, I, I don't know if you can or not, but and he sort of stuttering with words. I said, what, what's going on? He goes, are you licensed to forgive sins? I looked down. Oh, I said, "Well, I'm not licensed, okay, and I don't have a confession booth, okay, but I know where he's going with this." He felt he needed to come to a pastor, to a priest, to somebody to confess his sins because he knew he had messed up. At that point, time was like, you know, you don't need me. You need God. See, we've all messed up. We've all sinned. We all struggle with sin, but you need to go to Him. So as I pray, as we're taking this new journey, if there's a certain sins you're just struggling with, right now, just as I'm praying, you just ask God to forgive you those sins. God, help me remove this nastiness. Clothe me with your righteousness. God, give me a hunger to get into your word. Just a couple verses this week that I can read over and read over so that when that temptation comes my way to put on those nasty clothes, I won't do it because I'm already wearing something that's pretty awesome. Would you do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. And God, we do want to live in a way that honors you and we want to go a new way, a new route. But sometimes we just get so caught up in the filth and the junk in our lives, whether it be our attitudes, whether it be anger, whether it be our language, whether it be lust, whether it be unforgiveness, there's all kinds of things that we can struggle with. And like nasty clothing that just hangs on us. And you tell us over and over in your word, get rid of it, put it away. God, I know that when we ask for forgiveness, you forgive us, you remove all that. But for some reason, we still like to go back and put it back on. We can't do that. Not if we want to live for you and walk in a way that honors you. So God, right now as we're praying, as we sing this song, there's something that somebody in this room right now needs to ask for forgiveness. May they go to you directly. They don't need to go to me. We're going to go right to you right now. Say, God, forgive me of this. Hear our prayers, God. God, put in our heart desire 
that small little faith, that small little mustard seed. Say, you know what, God, I, I trust you. And this week, I'm going to show me a couple verses, show me something that I can just read over. And when I'm struggling, when I feel like I need to put that new, that old clothing on, I'll know I don't have to. So I'm going to clothe myself with you. Maybe it's a song. Maybe it's a song we're going to sing now. Maybe this song is a song we need to hear throughout the week to remind us I'm wearing new clothing. I am wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So God, work in our hearts right now. Forgive us. Help us to walk in this new way. We love you. In your name we pray.